0: I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be with you today. I'm so awesome. It's such an awesome privilege to get to worship the King of Kings with you and, and to celebrate all that God's doing. I'm so very grateful for Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris and I met a few weeks ago, and we we're talking about today and, and what he was doing, and, and he really is uh, celebrating. He's shown us by example, to what it is to love your wife well, and he is celebrating what I believe he told me was their thirtieth wedding anniversary. And so being around Chris a little bit, I believe we should all pitch in and buy Robin a great big medal and just tell her that we're so grateful for her more than him. And so uh, Paul in 1 Timothy is speaking to a young pastor in Ephesus, and he tells Timothy, he says, listen, you need to set the pace. You need to show what it is to be a Christ follower in conduct and in speech. And today, Pastor Chris, in his absence, is really setting that that example of what it is to love your wife well, to invest into a marriage, into a home. And and for that, I'm really, really grateful for Pastor in that he set that charge for each and every one of us as an example by his own testimony. And so for that, I'm really grateful to follow after a man that loves the Lord, loves his home, and loves his wife. And speaking of marriage, the past week or so, My wife had said those words that cause some dread in most husbands. I know we've had some extreme cold weather recently, but we also had some really, really warm weather as well with lows in the 70s. In one of those warm days, my wife said she was ready for spring cleaning. And I don't know what that means in your household, but in my household, that means spring cleaning out and getting rid of stuff. I can't tell you and begin to fathom how many things that she has said we would never ever use that we have donated and given away to only be on Amazon later on trying to find that exact item. Sometimes that cleaning out, clearing out those projects, those, those things around the property, around the house, maybe in the home that are, that are bigger than normal tasks. And that's why we throw the spring, spring cleaning, spring clearing at it. Maybe maybe they're there, and you've said to yourself, I really don't want to mess with it. I don't want to tackle it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to address it, because it's going to cost too much. It's going to take too much time, and, and it might hurt. But the problem is those those areas, those projects, they don't stay idle. Somehow they grow. They continue to get worse over time. I think sometimes in in my my kids, especially my boys in their room, there's things that I don't think science has discovered growing in there right now. And they just get worse over time. And then in our own hearts, there's a lot of areas that, that we kind of say don't touch them. There's some bitterness. There's some unresolved grief. There's some unforgiveness. There's, there's sin. And we say, I don't want to mess with it because I think it's going to take too much time. I have too much invested into it, and, and it might hurt. But the problem is it's the same like those projects around the house. They don't don't stay the same. They get worse and worse over time. And often it's the very thing that needs to be cleaned out. It's the very thing that needs to be addressed and, and we have to have this clearing that takes place so that we can get back to doing exactly what God has called us to and intended us to be doing. Have you ever noticed throughout life nothing moves to order and cleanliness by itself. It usually goes to erosion or overgrowth, to decay, to chaos, to confusion. You can't take all your kids' Legos and just throw them in the living room and come back a week later and there's the Taj Mahal built for you. Like it, Without Christ, without God leading and, and he, without Him at the helm, everything moves to unholy. Everything moves to chaos and confusion. There's a day coming when it's going to be overwhelmed with it. This means there's nothing flat. We have a trajectory growing toward Christ or growing away from him. We've, we believed in the lie of Satan so, so easily that there's this middle neutral ground. There's nothing neutral in this world. If he's truly the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if he's the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, if he is who he says he is in Scripture, it is growing toward him or away from him. And if we're on a slope of trajectory away from him and life isn't completely falling apart today, there will be a moment. Family, I'm telling you, there's going to be a day that tilt will be so steep you can't get off and you can't hit the brakes. It's coming and Satan just placates you long enough that you become numb and oblivious to what's going on. And so today, what we're seeing is there's this sin in our life that wants to destroy us and kill us and consume us. and he wants to deliver us from that. So my prayer for you today, I'm in praying because today's passage really kind of wrecks some of the ideas we have of Jesus. It tries to shape them and and put them right in a proper perspective. It changes some of the ways we think about him. I pray that we'll have a better understanding of this Jesus who clears out the area of sin. He he takes away and cleanses the temple. If you have your Bible, you can start to find your way to John chapter 2. We've all read Over and over, we've all heard, we've heard every sermon known to mankind about Jesus being loving and kind and gracious and merciful. He is love. But because he's God, his love presupposes his wrath. His love dictates that he is also wrath at the same time. Let me try to explain it this way. I love my wife. I'm telling you, I I am madly in love with my wife. I met her when I was 13 years old. We were living here in Owasso, and my dad was buying 100 acres in Beggs, America. If you go to Begs, it says, not Beggs, Oklahoma, it says Begs, America. And so you're in Begs, and we, we've got to befriend the people we're buying the house from. And they had a teenage boy my age, and he invited me to stay the night with him, and he showed me all the fun places on the land where I could go do things and blow up stuff and have a lot of fun. And he said, hey, why don't you come and stay the night? And I'll take you to church and introduce you to some people. I was like, "Awesome, They're like, great, I'll meet some people." We're in church and we're in the greeting one another part of the service, and the most beautiful of all God's creations turns around and she introduces herself to me, and I said, "I love bags. I could live here." My wife and I were really good friends throughout high school. We started dating unofficially, officially the very first day of our senior year. We dated throughout high school, throughout college, I proposed to her in that exact sanctuary where I first met her. I know, I got a brownie point there too. I love my wife. Not because she's my wife and it's my duty and, and I have to. I'm telling you, I'm, I am passionately in love with her. I find myself weeping and thanksgiving to God for her. I am madly in love with my wife. And I promise you, the most wrathful, forcible anger you would ever experience in your life would come out of me if you tried to damage her, destroy her, or take her away from me. If my love is what I said it is, then the wrath has to be what it is. If I don't have a wrathful, passionate protection over her, then the love really isn't worth having in the first place. And Jesus is love. And his wrath will always always be poured out on that which destroys the things that he loves. And that's you. That's the glory of his Father. That's the holiness that he is. He died for us to experience this newness in life. And so he is wrath, and he is willing to do that. And so we have to address that. We have to come here and be able to hear this. His love presupposes that he's wrath. He is meek. But meek is only a virtue if it truly is power under control. A a rabbit is not meek because it can't do anything besides be eaten. Meek is ultimate power under the control. And so till today, what we've seen is is Jesus is meek. He has this power. And today, in this clearing of the temple, it is the Lion of Judah roaring for the first time. Would you stand as we honor the Word of God and read in John chapter 2, verse 13 and following. In the Passover, the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling the ox and the sheep and the pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the, with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned the tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things that way. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for us? For doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, This, and they believed the scripture and the word of Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You can have a scene. Point number one is that divine fury. Passover is at hand. Everybody in the, the region knows Passover is about to take place because it's a month of preparation. Roads are fixed. Bridges are taken care of. Everything's painted. Everything's clean. Everybody knows that Passover is at hand. Now, Jerusalem on a normal non-Passover season is a square mile of three to four miles, give or take, with a population somewhere between fifty and 70,000 people on a normal day. Put into perspective, Owasso is 16 square miles and 38,000 people. So on a normal day, Jerusalem is fairly crowded. But during Passover, there's reports to upwards of a million plus people. Probably somewhere on an average of 500,000 people. Tulsa, Oklahoma is 411,000 people in a square miles of 200 square miles. So when we say it's crowded... I mean, it's it's Black Friday, Walmart crowded. It is crowded in Jerusalem, and everybody knows what's going on. And there's so many people going to Jerusalem, and we all know travel is difficult, right? You throw all your clothes on the bed, you pick what you need, you put them in the bag, your wife goes and finds those cl- those shoes that are way back in the closet, has not been worn in a year, but they might be needed on this trip. So we get those out, and we take those as well. And then we travel with with... With animals. I don't know if you take your animals everywhere you go. I just take mine duck hunting. I, all, they get to go in the back of the truck. But traveling with an animal is, is a challenge, especially not a dog, but livestock. We're traveling with livestock, and so that's a challenge. So it's just easier to travel with money and buy the livestock when you get there. But the problem is, you, you have to buy the livestock in Jerusalem. So you have to pay the extra for convenience. And sometimes the extra is a little bit. Sometimes it's a lot of bit for things. But here, extortion is running rampant. Because your animal has to be inspected by the religious inspector. And usually that takes 18 months for that whole process to go through. But you can expedite it. It's just going to cost you a little bit more. And the other reason you go to, to Jerusalem to, for Passover is to pay the temple tax. And the temple tax has to be paid in Jewish currency. And I know we live in America, and the vast majority of everything we do is based on a coin currency, but not here, because coins and dollar bills don't taste good when you're starving. So your currency might be wheat or grapes or olives or whatever food that you have, and then you'd have to exchange that into a Jewish currency, and maybe you have some Roman currency. Rome's currency had Caesar's image on it, and you could not have an engraven image brought to the temple, so it had to be a Jewish currency, and you can exchange it, but it's just going to cost you a little bit more. And so often we, we kind of miss this whole concept that this temple, this scene that we see Jesus tying this whip together, the temple, the holy of a holy has become a religious circus. Clowns masquerading as religious leaders, parading through and, and trying to take advantage of everybody. And being, everybody's being taken advantage of because this is, this is a must. They have to do this. Now remember, John has written to us John chapter 20, verse 31, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not his last name. Sometimes we just say it all together, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. We say it so often, we just assume it's his last name. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Son of God. And today he, he shows that he is the Lion of Judah. That prophecy that happened in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is on his deathbed. Israel is dying, and he is blessing all of his children. We get to Judah, and he says, you are a lion's cub. You're an infant now, but one day you're going to be the lion of Judah. You're going to be this, talking about Jesus Christ. Pastor Chris talked about last week where the wine was mentioned. It said they were feeding donkeys, donkeys, the choice the choice mind. We feed them hay. A bale of hay is like $7. Choice wine in these vineyards, we're talking millions and millions of dollars worth of feed just given to a donkey. It's so prevalent in the new heaven when when the lion of Judah roars and is exalted. It's so prevalent they wash in it. I guarantee you someone in my household has a grape stain from the Lord's Supper today on their clothes. I know they do. But it washes them just as his blood washes us as new. It's overwhelming what is, what is prophesied about him. But so often we just paint Jesus as meek and mild. And we strip him of his deity. And we imagine him something more of this hippie friend that's just there to come alongside of me to make me feel good about me. To kind of make me feel blessed and happy and, and just that it's all about me. And he really starts to become the image of an idol. A man-made comfort rock. That's just for me. And we strip him of that deity, and it's this idol that I can control. But here, what we see is a, is a lion. Now, Jesus was kind. He was gentle. He's merciful. He is, he is gracious. But they didn't crucify Jesus, the Son of God, because he was kind. He didn't tiptoe around the hard things in the life that he lived here on earth. He leaned heavy into it. He was crucified because he spoke out the truth on those who were living sinful lives, behaviors, and practices, and he spoke as a lion. He didn't tippy-toe around it. He he directly attacked the sin that wanted to destroy those he loved. That's who he is. Now, let me put this in perspective. The temple was built by Solomon, the original temple, and in the original temple, if we could do some currency exchange rates from, from Old Testament to modern day today, what we would get is King David wanted to build God a temple. He wanted so desperately to build a temple to the Lord, to house God that he loved greatly. And God said, no, it's your son Solomon will do that. So King David gives up freely the equivalent of seven beings billion dollars of gold. The other leaders of Israel collectively give over 12 billion dollars of gold. We're talking they still gave silver and bronze and iron. The people of Israel gave all the precious stones, rubies, jewels, and diamonds for the temple of God. So before the project had even began, there's roughly 20 plus billion dollars given for the decor on the inside of the temple it's not a museum for the masses to come and observe this is the temple of the holy lord his dwelling place it is for him alone every now and then a couple of priests and only one high priest can go all the way to the dwelling place of the lord and what you see in first Corinthians or first kings chapter 8 verse 10 through 11 and when the priest came out of the holy place this is the temple a cloud had filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now listen, this is, this is the purpose of the house of the Lord, the temple that has become this religious circus on the day of Jesus. It is to glorify God. And that day, all those people on the temple mount, they would have said all the right answers. Yes, we love God. Yes, we believe God should be honored and gloried, glorified in all things. You see, it wasn't their verbs, it wasn't their words that denied Jesus. but It was their actions. Church family, I'm, I'm extremely guilty of this. My words will honor Christ. But my actions, they show that I love me a little bit too much. My actions and my attitudes at times really think I should be the king of the universe and everybody else should just serve me. It's my actions, it's my heart that denies this. And when we reduce Jesus to much less than he truly is, when we miss out on that he is the line of Judah, we empty him of his divinity. We strip that from him and we become irreverent then our heart becomes hardened and our giving becomes restricted. Our worship starts, will begin to cease and it will impact every single aspect of our lives. And we miss out on his glory. That's what he's driving out. That's the very thing that he's, he's driving out of the temple. So let me put it in this perspective. Pastor Chris, the very first time he allowed me to preach last summer, he made mention that I had, was blessed and had the opportunity to play college football at the University of Oklahoma. When you're, when you're on the field and you're stretching, you realize fans are nuts. It doesn't matter if they're OU fan or OSU fan. We're just, all of them are nuts. If you're not one of those fans, well, then you've proven we're all nuts. And so you're sitting there and you're stretching. You're going through all the warmups. There's 80,000 plus people. I looked at ticket sales this year. And I know it's a little higher than average, or the average is a little higher than my math, but let's just assume for a moment that 80,000 seats, roughly a ticket is $100 a piece. That's $8 million in ticket sales. And assuming you need a hot dog and a bottle of water, you spend another $100 on concession. So now we're talking on game day, there's roughly $16 million plus being transacted. On the Temple Mount, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said after the time of Christ, there was $20 million stolen on Passover, and it was barely noticed because it's upwards to hundreds of millions of dollars that are being transacted on this day. My kids at the dinner table a few weeks ago asked me this question. Hey, Dad, is Jesus jacked like a bodybuilder? They said, like the rock? I was like, I don't know about that. But I know in verse 16, he says, this is my father's house. In that statement, you might miss it, but he said, I'm God. And in the next verses, he shows it. He proves it. He says in verse 17, for zeal, from zeal in my father's house consumes me. That's coming from Psalm 69.9. And he says that word consume is to be eaten up, to be consumed with anger. He's not just a little upset. He is consumed with anger. Have you ever met a man, a person? Have you even heard of a person that could walk into Gaylord Memorial Stadium in Norman, Oklahoma, in the middle of a game day when there's multiple, multiple millions of dollars going on, 80,000 fans, and could take a whip and drive them out? I've never met one. I'm telling you, when you when you just glance over this passage, you don't see the full miracle. This is a miracle of significant power. This is the parting of the Red Seas. This is, this is a miracle of proportions that is unknown to us. And so often we miss. This is the lion of Judah. And so what we see here is this passion for pure worship in a right, in a right relationship with God. Point number two is that divine sign. So what we see is he goes through and they're asking for a sign they legally have one. They legally have the the rhyme and the reason to say what is the sign? What is going on? But they give no reflection or self-examination of their actions. So often when Jesus speaks we want to give a bunch of rebuttals and ask for proofs. But we need a self-reflection and examine our own hearts and see what is going on. And somehow... They, they, they made worship the equal to showing up, giving the temple tax, giving the sacrifice, doing the rituals, going through the, the, the rhythms of life. Let's just show up and go. Now we worship. All right, click play. Now we're worshiping. Don't have to worry about it. Today in our culture, somehow, some way, we've made worship the equivalent to singing. Oh, I can't wait to worship. And we're just talking about singing songs. But the very first place in all of Scripture where the word worship is used is Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac, and God has called Abraham to sacrifice his son. And here's what he says The very first place in all scripture, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there, and we're going to worship, and we're going to come back to you. No musical instruments, no singing. It's a pause, it's a reflection. He says, We're going to go over there, and we're going to worship. So worship has to be obedience gonna go over there I'm gonna worship he said he promised me the generations will come through me and this is the only one I got but God I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna worship you and I'm gonna obey you and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you everything I have so here's what worship is here's what obedience is got everything you ask anything you ask the answer is yes whatever it is there's not a relationship there's not a job there's not a there's not a money there's not a dream there's not a goal there's not nothing that I'm going to hold on to, I'm going to release it all to you. Corey Ten Boom survives the Holocaust concentration camp. She lost most of her family in World War II just in a horrific way. She says this as an adult. I've learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. So here's where worship is. It's obedience. God, whatever's in my heart that you need to clear out, Whatever you need to build a whip and you need to drive out of my heart, then God, come and do that inside of me. Because I want to be holy. I'm the temple of God. I want to worship you. And that's the sign He gives to them. He says, I'm the temple. He's speaking of His body, and He says, it's going to be destroyed. Here in a few weeks, Pastor Chris is going to be in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. And she's asking Jesus about the location. What is the address for proper worship? My heritage says on this mountain. Yours says in Jerusalem. So where are we supposed to worship? Jesus' answer is phenomenal. And he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. In John chapter 4, verse 21. And it's when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming. And it is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship. Listen, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells her, the location of worship is about to change. Because the, the dwelling place for the glory of God, it's about to be relocated. It's no longer in Jerusalem. It's no longer in this this temple. It is going to be radically transformed. And he alone is worthy. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it until you see in verse 22, until after he had rose from the grave. So often I hear people today, I wish God would just show me some stuff. He showed them. And they didn't get it. It still requires faith. It requires faith for us to truly trust him, to truly surrender everything to him. We are in Christ as Christ followers, in Christ, not in myself, not in my ideas, not in my perspectives, in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, him perfect, Christ alone, and in whom the whole structure has been joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for for God by the Spirit. Listen, Christianity, salvation is in Christ. It's not in following your heart. It's not in following your dreams. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is is deceitful above all things it is desperately sick who can trust it my heart is evil my heart desires evil things it, it's consumed at times for revenge and, and for me being glorified above christ he said don't trust your heart first corinthians 3 16 through 17 do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you, and if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Jesus is telling the woman at the well, the address is changing because the house where the glory of God dwells is inside the heart of every Christian. Church family? It's overwhelming that the king of kings died for me, gave his life for me, and then somehow lives inside of me. And that when I die and I enter into the throne room and the heavenly of heaven, into his holy place, he sings over me. That is enough to just shatter. The smoky is not God. Smokey is not worthy to be worshiped. But he alone is worthy of it all. He alone is worthy. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. He is worthy. He alone is worthy. Point number three, we see in verse 23 and following. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part didn't entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. Man, I mean, that's a confusing passage. Remember, John's point and purpose of writing this is that you'll believe in his name, that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is not like any other deity on this planet that is easily flattered by bribery and gifts. You're not going to give to get your way there. Here, his whole power's on display. And what they wanted was that power, not a relationship. What they wanted was to Jesus to come alongside of them, let them live their life in the manner in which they wanted to live, have his power, make everything easy, comfortable, and tell me I'm pretty the whole time. One of my friends, loving to death, I found a shirt that fit him perfect. said, feed me tacos and tell me I'm pretty. It's kind of what we want in our Savior. Just feed me what I like. Give me everything that I want, all my comforts, all my pleasures, and, and just tell me I'm pretty in everything that I do. But they didn't want to surrender. This was just a visual reminder. latter part of Matthew chapter 7, verse 14 says, The gate is narrow to eternity, and the way is hard that leads to life. So often we think Christianity is just going to make me Make everything easier. I love Kay Arthur's statement in her book, How God, How Can I Live? She says it really well. If you do not plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing Christ and to walking in obedience to Him, then don't even begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It's a change of citizenship, a change of government, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule all of your life, to forget Christianity, it's not for you. Why? Because God, Jesus, is immutable. Just a fancy way of saying he's unchangeable. So the same Jesus that was sitting there, tying a whip, about to put the line of Judah on display, is the same one that lives in my heart. I'm telling you, church family, I'm, I was wrecked this week. Thinking about the million different times Jesus has said in my heart, it was tying a whip together to drive out what I have invited into my life, the sinful thoughts and behaviors and actions and desires, the bitterness and unforgiveness that I still hold on to at times, the desire for me to be glorified above his name, for me to be comfortable above being holy. I think about the same Christ who who is willing to take on the full wrath of God so that I can have a relationship with him and I strip him of his deity to make it more comfortable for me. See, in John chapter 2, this first miracle of the water and the wine, it was to manifest his glory. It was pointing to his death for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the second miracle of of cleansing the temple, of clearing it out, it is pointing to the power of his resurrection. The power that brought Christ back, the water and the wine, manifests his glory. This driving sin out manifests the zeal for holiness. Make no mistake about it, he is love. He is love. But he's also wrath. And he knows what sin wants to do to you and me. And its desire is to destroy you, to consume you. Jesus loves you so much, he will not let that happen. There is a day, there is a day where all sin is completely and totally wiped out. And this is why, because he is love, he is also wrathful. He will not let sin enter into his heavenly host. This is why, as a lost person, you, you, you will not enter into heaven. He didn't force you to hell. If sinning was an Olympic sport, I would get a gold medal. I am really good at sinning. That's probably the only thing I'm really good at. And I deserve eternity separated from Him. But by His grace and His mercy, He has allowed me. He has saved me. He's given me that opportunity to respond to the gospel just like He has you. Jesus loves you so much that He will destroy sin one day. But today... You need to choose. Choosing who you will follow. Either this deity that has been stripped of his godness, his power, that's about me being comfortable, or true, choose the true Christ, the one who is truly worthy to be worshipped. Worship, true worship is surrendering everything. Either you surrender your all, or you haven't surrendered anything at all. There is no middle ground. He, Christ, alone is worthy. Father, I pray that we would just surrender everything to you today. So often we get so consumed with the comforts of this world and everything being in its place and being nice and neat. that we're not concerned with the holiness of God inside of our own temple, the heart that you have redeemed. And so, Father, I just want to pray that we would surrender everything to you in this moment. Church family, in this attitude of prayer, right now is actually the most important part of your Sunday service. You, are gonna, you get to enter into a dialogue with the King of Kings who loves you died for you. Some of you are wrestling with things that you haven't let go. And so it's been hard to worship. It's been hard to surrender and it's been hard to follow. But will you be obedient? Will you let him drive out that sin that so easily entangles us and keeps us from running the race that he's called us to run? Maybe you need to come, when we have this moment of invitation, to the, to the stage we used to call an altar, where you just lay it down in submission of surrender. Maybe there will be people around the room, and you just need to go pray and just say, I, I'm holding on to way too much, and I need to surrender. Maybe you're here today, and, and you really do not know Christ, because you've, you've had your intellect stirred, your emotions riled. And you have that conviction and you, you believe Jesus is the Son of God but you haven't surrendered everything to Him because you still want to live your lifestyle the way you want to. And maybe today is the day of salvation. I don't know where you are. But this is your opportunity to interact with the King of Kings and to sing. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all.